Hey, everyone. Sorry, I was down there because I don't know if you know this. I never see these videos, ever. I'm always like back there or in transit. So today is actually the first day I've seen the pre-message video. It's pretty good, right? So um, uh, I, I brought this up um, earlier this morning, uh, and I checked this past with Pastor Mark a couple weeks ago. You guys remember a couple of weeks ago, I laid out a challenge for everybody. Remember what it was related to this? Yes, if you can recite the pre-message video at the end of the series, um, if, particularly if you can act it out with the same inflections that, that Mark does, <laughs> we're going to give you some kind of prize. So I don't know. We're still figuring out how this is going to happen. We don't know what the prize is. It's probably free coffee. Um, <laughs> comp oh, complimentary. Nothing is free. I'm married to an economist. Nothing is free. Um, so... Anybody who wants to enter, just start focusing, so I'm just telling you. Um, my name's Eric, and we are actually winding down the, the series. We have just a few more weeks left of the Sermon on the Mount, and we're going to be dealing with a passage of Scripture today that actually Pastor Mark touched on last week, and, and he called me, um, not this week, but the week previous, and he said, hey, I, I feel like I need to connect this passage in with what I'm going to talk about, but I'm going to just touch it lightly, and then I can deal with it some more. So um, in ways, I am going to just take some of his ideas and, and, and push them a little further, because he kind of hinted at some stuff that, that I was going to talk about already. But uh, I want to start in Matthew 7, so if you have a Bible and you want to open it up and turn there, that's where we're going to be headed, uh, the sixth verse of the seventh chapter. And the New Living reads this way. Uh, Jesus is speaking, and he simply says, Don't waste what is holy on people who are unholy. Don't throw your pearls to pigs. They will trample the pearls, then turn and attack you. I want to show you what the NIV, a different translation, says. Uh, I like this one as well. Don't give to dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they will trample them under the, their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. So uh, Jesus is speaking here very forcefully. And I, I want to, uh, you know, Pastor Dan said that there might be livestock involved in this message. There will be no livestock involved in this message. So you're just stuck with, with me. Yes. Um, so, so some people are like, thanks. Some people are like, oh, um, so when you're studying the Bible, when, when you're translating the Bible, when you're translating the Greek, I think I've said this before, you need to realize that the original manuscripts, they have no paragraph breaks, they have no, no sentence breaks. It is line after line after line of text. So when you're translating the Bible or when you're studying the Bible, you have to make certain decisions, even down to where does this sentence end, where does the next sentence begin, where does this paragraph end? Where does this next paragraph begin? And you also have to make decisions with, with what texts flow you know, out of other texts. And you'll see it in your Bible, like there's section breaks and section headers and everything. Those are all decisions that are made by scholars. Now, uh, it's not to say that it's arbitrary. There are methods, sound methods for doing this stuff. But decisions need to be made. And this passage is interesting because it is not clear what text it most closely accompanies. And that impacts a way, in a way of how you understand Jesus' words here. So for instance, like Mark called me and said, hey, I want to really deal with this 
in the context of verses one through five, which I'll talk about, you know, uh, if you remember Mark's uh, you know, acronym of, of talking about yourself, judging others, don't judging others, and then dealing with, with outsiders. And so that puts it in the context of how you deal with people in different, um, different communities of yourself, you know, your interior community, the people who are in your church maybe, and then outsiders. Other scholars have put this passage as an introduction to the next section. So it's an introduction to verses 7 through 12 even. And verse 12 actually culminates with this thing, going back to vacation Bible school, called the golden rule. Anybody heard the golden rule? What's the golden rule? Do unto others as, they, as you would have them do unto to you. So some people, some scholars say that this verse actually introduces that section. And so it hints at this idea of like, hey, don't throw pearls before swine because if you were a pig, you wouldn't want a pearl. You wouldn't know what to do with a pearl. So these are decisions that, to, uh, that need to be made. And some scholars um, just treat it as an isolated saying, which is kind of the way I was looking at it when, when I was thinking about this series as a whole. But it can go in a different, few different sections. What I want to do here is take a brief look again at what Jesus said. And then I want to connect some additional scriptures that, that I just, I'm going to be honest, that just popped into my mind over the week as I was thinking about this. So in verse 6, Jesus makes this comment. He's talking about dogs. He's talking about pigs. He's talking about sacred stuff, pearls. And... One way to understand this statement is to look at the usage of the words dogs and pigs in the Bible. Because dogs and pigs have a very specific usage in the scriptures, and it's simply this, that the Old Testament, the Jewish folks, that's the way they referred to Gentiles, which is everybody who's not Jewish, which is most everybody in this room. To them, anybody outside the Jewish world was a dog, a pig. It's the way they talked about them. So in that respect, scholars could look at this and you could look at this passage and say, well, what Jesus is talking about is he's talking about don't take my message, the message of the kingdom of God, the message of who God is, what I'm doing, the message of renewal, don't take it to the Gentiles, the dogs, the pigs. And in fact, if you look at Jesus' life, this jives with what he does in his ministry because in the Gospels, Jesus spends almost his entire time in the Gospels. Where? In his world, the Jewish world. Now, Sunday school lesson. When does the Gospel get sent out to the rest of the world? Acts. Acts chapter 2. Something called Pentecost. Pentecost, the church is unleashed to take the message of Jesus and the, the message of the kingdom of God to the rest of the world. That's the moment. So there's a way to look at this statement that Jesus is just saying, hey, it is not time yet to take the message of the kingdom to the rest of the world. Don't take it to the Gentiles. We have work to do first inside our own house. And then at Pentecost, like that's when it goes out. You can understand it that way. But most of us... and. Most of us understand this in terms of the way Mark was hinting at it last week, in terms of evangelism, right? And uh, that's an uncomfortable word for a lot of us for a lot of different reasons. And I want to ask, uh, by a show of hands, how many 
of us have ever been a target of an evangelism effort. All right. Is there anything more awkward in the world than being a target of an evangelism effort? I, I want to just share a few stories of when I was on the receiving end of evangelism. Now, um, I, went to, I went to TCU in Fort Worth, and at the time, our campus straddled a main thoroughfare, main road, okay? TCU is a private university. It's not a state institution. So the campus is private property. But the median on the road between the two halves of campus, that's public property. And there was a fine young gentleman that used to stand on that median every afternoon. And I don't know if there's a factory of like angry street preachers, but it seems like they export one to every campus in the United States. And this guy would take up his position on that median and every afternoon, we got to hear how we were adulterers and fornicators and all these awkward words that half of us didn't even really know what they were. And we would just trust fine. He was doing his thing. And it's like, okay, man, you know, good for you. That was one time. Um, and another time, I think because I grew up in Texas, I got the actual privilege of going to a tent revival. Anybody ever been to a tent revival? That's a cultural experience. So my sister, uh, my sister, older sister, she lived in a town in Texas that was populated at the time by like 600 people, right? It was so small, they couldn't even field 11 people on their football team, on their high school football team. But because it's Texas, that doesn't stop them from having a football team. I don't know if you knew this, but in Texas, like they have a whole league of like seven on seven football teams. That's how small this town was. And she invited me down she was active in her church, and so we went, and there was a, there was a, a, a rock band, which is really probably one of the first times I ever heard like rock and roll and spiritual stuff connected together, and it was pretty cool, you know, until that moment, right, where the music gets real serious, and all of a sudden, the guy comes up in kind of an awkward suit, and he's asking me questions about if I died tonight, you know, where am I going to spend eternity, and I'm like, Oh, man, like, I just wanted to hear the guy jam some more. You know, he's actually a pretty good guitar player. And then the last time was kind of awkward on my part, really. It was, it was, it was me uh, at fault. I grew up mostly in the church. I rebelled and everything, but I knew church lingo. And um, I played in a band once. This is all still in Texas. And um, I was playing in a band, and I had a bass player. We were walking around this area of Dallas, and my bass player was not, he was not down with the Jesus. He was not the, a faith guy at all. And I was kind of flirting. I could be in and out, you know, just depending on what was going on in my life. And I see this guy coming from halfway down the block. And, you know, and let's face it, like a lot of times when you see an evangelist, like you can see him from a mile away. And you're like, oh, man, here this guy comes. And I'm walking with this guy's name who's ironic that my bass player's name was Christian. <laughs> and the guy walks up and strikes up sort of the, the useless conversation that's all leading up to the, again, the question. Hey, let me ask you a question, he says. If you guys died tonight, do you know, where, do you know for absolute certainty where you would spend eternity? And I, and I literally said, I do, but he doesn't. And they like walked off and left this guy alone. And, uh, and I had a laugh at it. He didn't find it that funny, but... But there is like something about 
being the target of evangelism that makes us feel so awkward. But as people of faith, if you're a, if you're a Christ follower in this room, you have to be honest that there's something about doing, about being on the other end of that evangelism effort, about saying, hey, there's this thing that I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to reach out to people. I'm supposed to invite them into this kingdom. It makes us feel uncomfortable too, does it not? Sure makes me uncomfortable. Like sitting down with somebody and talking to them about the deep things of life, the spiritual things of life can be so uncomfortable. And uh, that's what this passage is getting about. How do you take these things that are so sacred to us, these things that we would consider precious pearls, and how do we take them out into the world, especially when sometimes the world doesn't receive them or when the world turns around and gets angry with us? And so the way I want to uh, frame, frame this discussion is I want to ask us three questions this morning. And um, I'd love it if you write them down because I think these are good questions for us to, to think about. These are the questions that this text asked me. So maybe it'll ask you, the same questions. The first question I want to throw out there is just the question of, am I blaming the animals? Right, Jesus says, don't take these things in front of dogs and pigs. And I actually really want to just kind of lose that language because it's, I don't think it's helpful all the time. But I think there's a tendency that when you're a Christ follower and when you take these things that are precious to us and you take them out to people and they don't appreciate them or they get angry at you for, for, for bringing them out in the first place, some of us, if we're honest, we get resentful about it. Like, why are you not appreciating this thing? Or why are you angry with me for doing this to you? And we have a tendency then to blame the people or think that they are somehow less human than we are, that we're better than them. And so I want to start off with just that question of when you have taken your faith out to people and it's not been received the way you thought it should be, are you getting angry about it? Does it make you mad? Because those are issues more or less of control. So I think at one point we, we think in our minds, look, I did this thing for you, God. You should have been there and like converted their hearts and you didn't. And that becomes uh, really quickly the thought that we are somehow in control of evangelism. And I want to suggest to you that we're not as in control as we think we are. And I also want to suggest to you that we also need to be careful and, and, and Mark kind of hinted at this last, last week, and um, in a way, this is a kind of a couple weeks of beating up on the church, right? Because I think we need to own up to some stuff in the church that a lot of times the people aren't receptive to our message because of the life that we've lived and the baggage that the church has created for itself. Okay, we need to own up to the fact that the church does not have the best track record on some very important issues in the world. Poverty, racism, oppression. A lot of ways the church has checked out of those conversations. So when we come to people in the world with this message in our minds of hope and of salvation, what we encounter is people who's like, you know what? I've been watching your faith. 
and I want no part of it. So sometimes, before we even get to the idea of like how, we're, how we think they're reacting to us, we just need to own up to the fact that, look, we got some work to do before we even earn the right to speak to people. So there's a passage in another gospel, in Luke's gospel, that spoke to me about um, blame and control and some different ideas of how to think about evangelism. So chapter 10, gospel of Luke, Jesus is sending out disciples Again, to the people of Judea, to to the nation of Israel. But he's sending them out and he says this to them. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is what? In charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. Whose fields? His fields. Now go and remember that I'm sending you out as lambs among wolves. Don't take any money with you, nor a traveler's bag, nor an extra pair of sandals, and don't stop to greet anyone on the road. And then he gets to this part. Whenever you enter someone's home, first say, may God's peace be on this house. If those who live here are peaceful, the blessing will stand. If they are not, the blessing will return to you. So real quick, I think Jesus... Uh, three things jumped out to, to me about this passage. The first is that there is a Lord of the harvest. Whose fields do we go out to? His fields, not our fields. And I think sometimes we go out with the idea of evangelism to say, I need to do this work. I need to go out into these fields that I've created. And what this message says to me is that there is a bigger picture at work. And the harvest is up to God. There is a Lord of the harvest, and it's not me, and it's not you. And this should be really good news for us, because I'd be an awful Lord of the harvest. <laughs> the second thing that I notice is that it's, 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 it's chock full of wisdom and trust, because he says, look, I'm sending you out as lambs among wolves. And I don't think we need to be focused on the idea of like the wolf wants to eat the lamb. I don't know if we should go out when we sit down with our friends and say, hey, I want to talk to you about God, but you might eat me. (laughs) I think it just speaks to wisdom. I think it it speaks to being aware of your surroundings. When a lamb walks out, he doesn't necessarily need to be afraid of every shadow, but you should probably know where the wolves are, are, are lurking. And it just seems to me that when we go out with the message of God, there's just a certain aspect that we should show some good sense. Hey, this person is ready for this message. This person hates the church, hates God. Maybe they're not ready for the bridge illustration yet. Maybe they're just ready for me to hang out with them and buy them some Thai food. If you were going out with dinner with me, anyway. And and, And then I love what Jesus says. The first thing you come to a house, what's the first thing you do? You say, may the peace of God fall on this house. Not, if you died tonight, where would you spend eternity? Isn't that different? To just come into people's lives and say, I wanna bring the shalom, the peace, the connectedness, the wholeness of God to your house. And you can receive it or not. Because why? Because there's a Lord of the harvest, and it's not me. 
I think this sets us free from this cycle of blame, of trying so hard to get our friends, our family members to receive the gospel. And when they don't, we get so uptight about it. You know, sometimes it's a matter of timing. Sometimes it's just up to us to say, I'm offering you the shalom and the peace of God. And I'm trusting the Lord of the harvest to be at work in your life. Second question. Second question is simply this. Uh, It's an honesty question. The second question is this. Am I really throwing anything? You know? Matthew 7, 6 says, don't throw your pearls before swine. Uh, Most of us don't throw anything because evangelism terrifies us. So we're like our hands are in our pockets. Our pearls don't go before swine because they never get out of our hands, out of our pockets. That's just an honesty question. Have you checked out of the evangelism process? A lot of us have. That's not okay, but it's okay to admit that because you don't change until you admit you have a problem, right? So... um, This passage, another passage of of Jesus, another saying of Jesus um, stuck out to me with this. Mark chapter four, this is called the parable of the sower. It's an amazing parable. The point of parables, before I go into this, is to find yourself in the story. Parables are meant to unsettle you. They are meant to disorient you. That's the way Jesus use them. That's the way the Jewish culture used them. I want to suggest to you that as you're studying your Bible, if a parable doesn't mess with you in a significant way, you probably haven't understood it in its entirety. These parables are meant to jack you up. I'm not going to do that. So Mark 4, uh, verse 1 Once again, Jesus began teaching by the lakeshore. A very large crowd soon gathered around him, so he got into a boat. Then he sat in the boat while all the people remained on the shore, and he taught them by telling many stories in the form of parables, such as this one. Jesus says, listen, a farmer went out to plant some seed. As he scattered it across the field, some of the seed fell on a footpath, and the birds came and ate it. Other seed fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seed sprouted very quickly because the soil was shallow, but the plant soon wilted under the hot sun, and since it didn't have deep roots, it died. Other seed fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants, so they produced no grain, and still other seeds fell on fertile soil, and they sprouted, grew, and produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as he had planted. Then he said, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand and to which his disciples said, I don't understand. <laughs> they literally said that, I don't understand. So um, I, I grew up, I've heard this parable many, many times. And for a lot of us, um, we may have heard the interpretation that like we're the sower. And that the, the image that comes to our mind is that we're, we're sowing seeds in our work, sowing seeds in school, sowing seeds in our neighborhood. But I want to suggest to you that uh, another way to understand this parable is to understand that the sower is not you. Who, who do you think the sower might be? The sower is God. 
And this comes out of consistent imagery in the Old Testament that portrays God as a farmer, as a sower, going all the way back to the book of Genesis. Genesis 2 says that God plants what? A garden called Eden. First thing God does, sows a garden. And the the book of Isaiah in particular really minds this image of God as a farmer. God is a farmer. God is the sower. And what is he doing? He's sowing seeds. He's sowing seeds. And then Jesus talks about all these different types of soil. And I think to my mind, if I was God, I'd be much more wise with the seeds I sowed. And I would look for the fertile soil and I would go, well, you know what? I'm gonna sow a bunch of seeds right there. Sow, sow, sow. Because that's the soil that's gonna bear fruit. But what does our God do? He throws it everywhere. And do you think God knows? Like, you think God is surprised when the seed doesn't grow in the, in the bad soil? No. But our God's a generous God. And he's like, I'm gonna sow the seed everywhere. Everywhere. You don't look like you're ready for this, but guess what? There's a seed that's going to be planted. You look like you're really ready for this. Guess what? There's a seed that's going to be sown. God sows seeds everywhere. And then I think of myself, and I'm like, man, I'm not much like God most of the time. Because I get really hung up on sowing seeds. But I think there's something to what seeds and how we sow them. I, I talked about these evangelism efforts and how awkward and how bad they made me feel. And they just almost never worked. I mean, I would cry and weep a little bit and, and maybe I'd say a prayer, but I would typically just go back to the same life I was living beforehand. But as I got older, when I was in my mid-20s, um, I met a guy, I was at, we were a part of a, a church that wanted to start a contemporary, they called it a contemporary gathering, right? They wanted electric guitar, woo! And uh, so I got connected with this guy, and my life was a pretty hot mess at this point in my life. And uh, the guy who was leading it was a guy named Sean. And so Sean called me up and said, hey, I heard you play electric guitar. Would you like to come play with this, uh, this church thing I was doing? And I had... Never even played electric guitar in church. Never seen electric guitar in church. I told the guys earlier, like, if you think, if you think I play loud now and I'm hard to deal with as a musician, you should have seen me then. Because I didn't know what I was doing. I'm like, bah, bah, you know, this is just what, this is what I do. I would show up to practice. I'm going to tell you, I'd show up to practice under the influence. I didn't know better. But this guy, Sean, played bass and sang. He's not a great bass player. He's an okay singer. He's a really good pastor. And so Sean just hung out with me, invited me to have lunch with him, had coffee with him. And I don't know how long it was. It's probably six months, nine months. Who can, I can't remember that far back. All these seeds have been sown in my life. And one day, I called Sean because my life had collapsed, had collapsed. And I had experienced and was experienced the weight of my sin, the weight of my brokenness, and it was crushing me. It's crushing me. Um, I, called, I called this guy up. 
who had never evangelized me. He had never presented an illustration to me. He had never worn a bad suit. All he was there, all he was was there when I needed him. And I called him. I called him and I was weeping. I was in tears and I was like, I've done this. I, I, I don't know what to do. And he just said, Eric, he said, do you believe that God loves you? Do you believe that there's a God who is crazy in love with you? And I said, yeah, yeah, I, I think I do. And they prayed with me on the phone, which I'd never had anybody do that before. And I was like, can you even pray on the phone? I don't know. Like, <laughs> and he prayed a prayer and he had me pray it too, a prayer of forgiveness and a prayer of acknowledging this gift of mercy that God had given me, right? Sowing seeds. The seeds were sown. God was sowing seeds in my life all along. And trust me, the seeds in my life, those things fell on a, on a tough sidewalk of a heart, concrete. And Sean was just kind of there. And then eventually, you know what happened? The concrete of my heart cracked open. And that seed went right down in. And I think sometimes, even when we think that we're not sowing seeds by saying something, or we're not sowing seeds by necessarily doing the right things, we need to realize there are other ways to sow seeds. We, need, we can sow seeds by presence by being people's friend, by being available, you know? By seeing hurt in the world and saying, man, I'm just gonna walk into this hurt and I'm gonna try and be there and love you and care for you, you know? I heard this quote just this week. It was from a British missionary. I love this. Uh, this guy said, there are five gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and you. And most people will never crack open the Bible to read the first four. But they will read and study you all the time. So what do people say when they read you? The gospel of Chuck. The gospel of Robin. You know, the gospel of Paul. What is your gospel saying about God? Those are ways to sow seeds. There might come a time when you speak the words, but before you speak the words, you have an opportunity for your life to tell a story, you know? And uh, I just gotta brag for, brag for just a second. Uh, my wife, Shana, does, she does this pretty well. I don't know of any, anybody who, who, who agonizes more about the way her life speaks to people. You know, she'll come home from... Uh, work or a workout class or just going to the gas station and she'll talk about like, oh man, I just want my life to say something. I just want my life to be different to my coworkers. I want them to see, and see me and see something different about the way I order my affairs because they're reading her life and she knows it. And I believe that if you agonize over statements like this, by the way, you're probably doing a pretty good job of it. The folks who agonize over these statements are usually the folks who are right there in it. For those of us who never think about this, it should be a little bit of a wake-up call. People are reading you. And is your life good news, bad news, or indifferent news? So think about that. Um, what I want to do, uh, I want to pause for just a moment. I'm going to invite the band up. And as they, as they play this song, before we get to the last little 
question. I want to spend some time letting God speak to you, specifically over these two questions. Am I blaming people for their unwillingness to respond to God's message? Do I need to repent and, uh, of my desire to control evangelization? Or do I need to remember there's a Lord of the harvest? And then secondly, do I need to own up to the fact that I'm not throwing anything out to anybody? So we're just gonna pause. The band's gonna sing a song. I just invite you to ask God those two questions and just let them speak to your heart. And maybe you'd even write something that you need to do differently this week in regards to these two questions. And then I'll come back and we'll wrap up. So, guys. Thanks, guys. So, you know, we hear a message like this, even, even speaking a message like this, for, there's some of us in this room who are still like, yeah, but. Yeah, but. Evangelism still freaks me out, still terrifies me. I don't know what to do. People may even come to me, and I don't, I don't know how to respond to questions. And this is where the last question that this text asked me and asks, I think, all of us comes into play. And the last question is simply this. In evangelism, are you leveraging the church? Are you leveraging church, this community? If evangelism is this huge spiritual undertaking and God is sowing seeds and God is the Lord of the harvest, the good news is that God has equipped the church, this group of people, to accomplish his mission and his purposes in the world. It's not just about you. You have help. This worked out pretty interestingly in my life. I want to tell you, uh, I do not have the gift of evangelism. I just don't. It's not something I do naturally. But a couple years ago, family in the church uh, sent me an email, and they said, we have this friend of ours who is uh, struggling right now, and he does not know God. And we're wondering if you would sit down with him because we think that maybe you and he can, can connect and maybe you can help him. And I, I enjoy doing meetings like that. Um, and so I, I sat down with this, this, uh, this young man and I don't have, again, the gift of evangelism. I've never used the bridge illustration. I've never walked up to somebody on a street. Okay? But I sat down with this person and I saw a person who was broken and hurting and that sidewalk heart was cracked wide open. And all I said to him, this was my five-step evangelism strategy. Five words. Um, actually, I don't know if it's five words. <laughs> I think I just looked at him and I said, you know that God loves you. Six words. And his whole demeanor changed. And I don't know how many seeds have been sown in, in, in that guy's life, but that's all it took in that moment. That heart was cracked wide open. I don't have the gift of evangelism. But 
Check it out. I want to leave you with this thought. God has equipped the church to accomplish his mission. He gives the church these things called spiritual gifts. How many people have ever heard of spiritual gifts? How many people in this room know your spiritual gifts? That's not enough. It's not enough. You should know. It is a core belief of, of, of this church. It's a core belief of Christianity that God gives people special gifts that we just do better than anybody else. In, in a letter to the church at Ephesus, the, the book of Ephesians, Paul writes, there's other lists of spiritual gifts, but I love this list. He says, these are the gifts that God has given to the church. He lists five right here, right? They're the apostles, the prophets, the what? The evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. I don't have the gift, the spiritual gift of evangelism. And probably a lot of you do not, but some of you do. You know who has it in this church? Your lead pastor, Mark McNeese. He has the spiritual gift of evangelism. And I've seen this in my life. So how does the church work? Well, let me tell you, uh, shortly after we moved here, I had a cousin, first cousin who lived in Bradenton. And he said, oh man, my family, I got family in Tallahassee. He drove up to Tallahassee to hang out, out, hang out with us. And I can't remember what the circumstances were, but Mark was hanging out with us too. My first cousin, he doesn't have a faith life. He didn't have a spiritual life. He doesn't even have a spiritual interest. And I have struggled all the time to come up with a conversation with him that's about faith. And I can tell you, I've failed profusely. It doesn't excuse me from evangelism, but I don't do it very well. Within like 10 minutes of meeting my cousin Garth, Mark is in a spiritual conversation with him. I'm just watching this happen. I'm like, just that easy. No, it's not. It's spiritual gifts. So some of you in this room may not know what your gifts are. And some of you might have the gift of evangelism. You don't even know it. And it's your responsibility to wake up to it, to ask God to show it to you, and to cultivate it. But if it's not your spiritual gift, you know what your responsibility is? Connect the dots of the church. Find out who does have the spiritual gift of evangelism. If there's somebody that God has laid on your heart, man, you got some introductions to make. You need to meet this person over here and just watch God do his business because you never know what sidewalk hearts are cracked wide open. You just don't. God is always active. He's sowing seeds everywhere. It's just up to us to be available at the right time, at the right moment. So I'll stand for closing prayer. I want to remind you guys about the prayer flags. And this week, maybe your prayer flag will just have one name on it. Maybe your prayer flag will just have a name of somebody that God's put on your heart. Maybe it'll have two names on it. Maybe it'll have the name of somebody that God's put on your heart and a person that you know has a spiritual gift of evangelism and you wanna pray for that relationship. But please continue to fill these out. We're gonna to continue to see them up to pray for them. Let's all pray.